2016. Uh, never has one year been so associated with negativity and disappointment and discouragement and, and suffering so sharply that just by saying that one word, that one number, everyone, like, everyone's just like, ugh, ugh, glad that's over, right? Who, who is not glad that 2016 is over? I am glad that it is over. Uh, we, can, we can look back and list numerous events uh, and just say, how did this all happen in one year? Um, and globally, all we have to do is look at uh, the U.S. election, the circus that was the U.S. election, and say, man, how, how does that happen? And nationally, we can look and we can say, we can look at Hurricane Matthew, and we can look at, I mean, you can take your pick around here. Uh, the languishing Bahamar, the political maneuvering that's, that's going on. And, and, we, and we look and we say, Man, what is going on? I know for, for me personally, 2016 was uh, probably the most disappointing and humbling year of my life. And without getting into specific details, uh, just, you know, I've had some opportunities taken away from me. Uh, I had to move back home, which is not terrible. But, you know, I'd been comfortable. I'd gotten comfortable at, at a job and doing ministry at a church over in Texas. And, and that was taken away. Had, had forced to move back home. Um, had some heartbreak in relationships. Had some friendships that drifted apart. And then to cap the year off, uh, last week I was supposed to go to Cancun uh, for a office business trip. I, I work for a company in Texas, home-based. It's complicated, but that's what I do. And uh, we were supposed to go to Cancun. The boss was taking the whole office to Cancun last week, and I was supposed to go. Uh, and I get to the airport, and they say, sorry, you're not going anywhere. Your visa's been canceled. And uh, I said, what? what? Why? Uh, well, you stayed two weeks too long the last time you went to the U.S. I said, well, I, I talked to lawyers, and they said, you get a 180-day grace period with no penalty. You know, you can overstay your visa. And, I, and the only reason I overstayed was because the, the pastor of the church that I was going to over there asked me to fill in for him while he was on vacation. And so I did that, and it turns out the lawyers were wrong, and... Uh, I end up having my visa canceled. I don't get to go on this great all-expense-paid, uh, all-inclusive resort, play golf for three days kind of thing. To, so what was supposed to you know, be a, a good end to the year ended up being a crushing, discouraging end to the year. Um, how did I respond to this cherry on top of 2016? Uh, I'll, I'll tell you later. And it probably wasn't the most mature response, um, but I'm going to be authentic this morning, I think, I hope. Uh, not to have a, a pity party for myself, because I'm sure if you look at your own life and many of the lives around Calvary, uh, many suffered through pain that they had never anticipated. Multiple families with brain tumors, uh, cancer, depression, financial struggles, dealing with the loss of loved ones. It's just a hard year all around, I think. And, and what makes it even harder is that much of our personal suffering did not come because 
we had done something wrong and deserved it, right? Um, we were trying to live godly lives. We're just minding our own business, going about our routines, and then the suffering hits, and we wonder what's going on. What's God doing? Why is he allowing this? And it's possible to get discouraged and say, it's not worth it. I'm just going to do what I have to do to get what I want. And so, so maybe this is where you're at this morning. Uh, it's the kind of suffering where you haven't done anything wrong, but the hits keep coming, and you're tempted to say that it's not worth it, and I may as well just do what I want. Or sometimes we think we're suffering more because we're trying to avoid sin. Because you will have a choice. Do I continue walking a harder road, or do I just join in with everyone else who seems to be doing just fine without God in their lives? And can I prepare myself to handle the seemingly unjust suffering that comes from walking the path of obedience? That's the question I want to ask this morning, and hopefully we find some, some actions for relief from our suffering in this morning's text. Um, how can we handle unjust suffering when it hits in 2017? Because it's not going to stop because 2016 is over. Uh, we will we'll find some answers this morning. Thankfully, in the Word of God, First Peter chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 11 this morning. This text is going to show us three things. It's going to show us a, a resolution, which is appropriate at the beginning of 2017. We're going to see a resolution. We're going to see two reactions. And finally, hopefully, we see some relief. Resolve, re reactions, and relief. So let's turn to First Peter chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. First Peter is a, is a book written specifically to Christians who are suffering because they are Christians. And Peter is encouraging them to endure their suffering well. We pick it up in chapter 4 after Peter has just encouraged his readers in chapter 3, verse 18, to look to Christ as an example of one who suffered for doing good. But, but, but how do we put that into practice? Peter's first command is, appropriately enough, to make a resolution. Let's read verses 1 through 3. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. So for us, our strategy in suffering is to be resolved to have the same mind that Christ had while he was suffering. The command here is to arm yourselves this is a military term for a soldier putting on his equipment. But our equipping isn't a physical act. It's a, it's a mental one. We are to resolve to endure suffering. Why? Because whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That's what the text says. But what does this mean? Does it mean that if we suffer like Christ, we'll never sin again? I don't think so. I don't think I've ever met any person in the world who has figured out how to stop sinning. Don't think that's what I mean. No, what it, what it does is it prov proves that we are so serious about our walk with Christ 
that we are so committed to breaking away from our old life of sin that Jesus died for, right? Jesus suffered in the flesh. That's what he was doing. We're so serious about breaking away from our sin, even if it means we have to suffer because of it. We are resolved to say it is better to suffer unjustly than it is to sin to relieve that suffering. So, so here we see the centrality of the cross in our suffering. We must always remember to focus on Christ and his suffering on the cross as we endure our own suffering. We must resist the temptation to come up with our own coping mechanisms. Things such as trying to grit our teeth and flex our muscles to withstand the pain. I'm strong enough to get through this in my own strength. Or another thing people do to try to avoid suffering, they, they, they try to avoid the suffering completely because they've come to believe somehow that if I'm suffering as a Christian, something is wrong. This isn't what's supposed to be happening. And so they never come to terms with the fact that we will suffer as believers, specifically for being believers. Some will even choose to simply say the suffering is not worth it. I'm out. I'm going to do whatever I need to do, even if that includes sinning. The thinking is that this isn't what I signed up for. It's not worth it. So I'm out. Because what they were really doing is using God to get what they wanted. And then when he doesn't give them what they want, done. But this verse tells us that suffering can be used specifically to remind us that being a Christian means a complete break with a lifestyle of sin. At least in our mind, right? You find out who truly believes and who said, they only said it because they thought they could get what they wanted from God. See, suffering is the great authenticator, right? It, when, we, when we have the mind of Christ, we resolve to suffer and choose Christ over our sin. Christ is enough for me. Thaddeus chose great songs this morning. We have aligned ourselves. We have chosen what side we are on. And we choose to live for, what does the verse say? For the will of God and not human passions. See, and so sometimes the suffering comes from just not sinning. My human passions want something sinful, and it would feel good to gratify that. But they are antithetical to the life of God. And so not doing those things feels like suffering. Peter describes them as the things the Gentiles want to do. But Peter says that that time is past. Gentiles are the unbelievers. In the context this was written, there was a lot of pagan idolatry and, and you know, worship and practices that, that, had, that were against God. So Peter says those times are past to do the things the Gentiles want to do. Not that there was ever a good time to do them, they are always against God's will, but it's, but it's not shocking for unbelievers to do those things, right? But when Christians do them, 
No, that's, Peter says, no, that's not what's supposed to happen. So the instant you became a Christian, your time to live in debauchery and drunkenness and sensuality and sexual immorality ended. It was over. You don't get some indulgences as you wean your way off sin. The principle is that when we come to Christ, we are his. We don't keep some pet sin on the side. So, young people, this means that you don't get to go to church your whole life and then go off to college and say, ah, now I get to do what I want. Um, No, if you got baptized and you made your public profession of faith, the time for going out and getting drunk and having casual flings is over. I'm not trying to condemn or judge anybody. It's, It's just what we need to know, right? We don't get to say, oh, man, I was a Christian... For so long as a kid, and I, I just I wanted to do these things, but you know, I wasted that time. No, no, you didn't waste your time being obedient and following Christ. You don't get to say, "Oh, okay, I, I get to have a little fun now." Um, if you're continuing to do these things that align you with the world, and you keep making justifications for them, even though the Bible says they're clearly wrong, you need to ask yourself, am I truly a believer? Because if you haven't made your break with sin, you're, you're, you're living like you're on the wrong side. The evidence says that you're probably not. If you think it's okay to go out and get drunk and sleep around, like if you think that's okay, or if you know you make excuses for it all the time and keep doing it, I'm not sure you understand the principle of suffering for Christ. We, all of us, where we make justifications for our sin, we need to repent. We need to stop deceiving ourselves and repent because that's what Christians do if we sin because we align ourselves with the will of God and not the passions of the world. And when we allow ourselves to do those things, we need to repent. J.C. Ryle, he's a preacher from the mid-1800s, he sums it up this way. He says, we must not conceal from ourselves that true Christianity brings with it a daily cross in this life, while it offers us a crown of glory in the life to come. The flesh must be daily crucified. The devil must be daily resisted. The world must be daily overcome. There is a warfare to be raged and a battle to be fought. And we equip ourselves with this resolution to have the mind of Christ. But this resolution is revolutionary and radical, and there will be reactions to our resolution that we must consider. First is the world's reaction, and then God's reaction. Verse 4 tells us the world's reaction. 
This is what it says. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. See, the world, which is conditioned to simply do whatever its passions and appetites call out for, will take notice when you don't fall in line. Warren Wiersbe, he says this. He says, unsaved people do not understand the radical change that their friends experience when they trust Christ and become children of God. They do not think it strange when people wreck their bodies, destroy their homes, and ruin their lives by running from one sin to another. But let a drunkard become sober or an immoral person pure, and the family thinks he has lost his mind. See, at first they may say, oh, oh, you don't want to do that. Okay, that's cool. You do you, right? But eventually, the more you're around them, they will expect you to join in with them or be insulted by them. Your life should stand out. And it will force them to confront their own behavior. And the fact that you won't do those things will be offensive. What's wrong with what I'm doing? You think you're better than me, eh? So we need to prepare, need to be prepared to endure whatever form of maligning this takes. It may be, it may, you know, in a the workplace, they may not be able to go as far as they want, but... You know, it would be sarcasm, um, over-exaggeration about things that we're allowed to do or not allowed to do. You know, like, oh, Terrence, you, sh- you sure you could do that? I know you're a Christian. Like, yes, I can. I'm okay. Like, stop. Um, but eventually, your resolve to align with Christ will clash with their decisions, and you need to understand that it may cost you relationships. It may cost you opportunities. Uh, before, before this Cancun trip, the boss had sent out an email uh, saying he was going to give a prize to whoever had the most fun on the trip. And what that meant was who was going to drink the most and make a fool out of themselves. Uh, and so Like, in my mind, I'm already saying, okay, there's things I can't do. I'm not going to win that prize, right? And so there's things that we need to say, I'm I'm just not going to have that because I'm committed to Christ. But it will eventually work out. Why? Because of what verses 5 and 6 tell us. Follow along with me. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Every single person who has ever existed is going to die. And every single person is going to stand before God and give an account for what they did. So those people who seem to be doing whatever they want and getting away with it, they will stand before God, who sees everything, including how they treated his followers. So not only will they be judged for what they did, they will be judged for how they treat you. Nobody 
gets away with anything. You don't, I don't. And that's why we preach the gospel. It's verse 6. Verse 6 talks about people who had died. But before they died, they had the gospel preached to them, and they believed. And so even though death takes them, through Christ, they will live. Those who are alive now and living according to their lusts, when they die, it's not like, oh, they got to do whatever they want with no consequences. Oh, they got away with it. They had their fun, and that was it. No, they, they don't live. They get judged and cast into hell. It is better to suffer temporarily now than eternally later. So, a couple questions. Do you stand out? Do people notice that you're different at work, in your family? Or do we just try to blend in so that no one knows anything about your resolve to live for Christ? Peter has already told them they need to have an answer for those who ask. And our life is supposed to stand out so that people notice. And you say, well, I just don't want to get into all that. I don't want to cause problems. I don't want there to be conflict. Just be prepared with an answer. And then later on, you can answer questions, and, and, but just prepare yourself. To know, so that they know why you believe what you believe, and so that they know that you are resolved to live for Christ against sin. Do you believe that God sees your suffering? Do you believe he sees the way people are treating you for living a life pleasing to him? He does. And he's going to provide perfect justice one day. But for now... Your responsibility is to trust him and be faithful. That's not very satisfying, is it? Is that it? I make this resolution, and I'm just supposed to suffer for however many years and just take it until they die or until I die and be miserable? Come on, Terrence, that's not very encouraging at all. You got to give me something else. Okay. You're right. And Peter knows that. And he goes on to explain how we can find relief and encouragement through this suffering. Read verses 7 through 11 with me. The end of all things is at, is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So remember my story at the beginning, capping off the discouraging year, visa canceled, cherry on top. How did I respond? Uh, not great. Uh, <laughs> so I went home, 
I got home and I had this like case of toilet paper that I just bought. And I just started kicking that thing around the house. Just destroying this case of toilet paper. I mean, I'm not stupid. I'm not going to like kick a wall or a door or something like that. But, you know, like, it's like I get to get my frustrations out and not break my foot. Um, and I start praying. And I start telling God, he's not with me. Why, why do I have to suffer so much when other people who aren't trying to follow him, and they, they get what they want? I'm better than them. I accuse him of not being good. Even to the point of feeling like I couldn't preach this sermon this morning. I didn't want to preach it. Because I didn't believe it in that moment. But of course, calm down. I realize I'm acting like the, the older brother in the prodigal son parable, right? Like, like, hey, see how good I've been trying to be, and this is how you repay me? Uh, I hope you'll all agree with me that these are not good prayers to pray. Certainly, pour out your complaint before the Lord because he cares for you. But when we cross into that realm of accusing him of not being good, we've, we've crossed a line. And that's why Peter's exhortation is to be self-controlled and sober-minded in the midst of suffering so you can pray better prayers. Keep your head on straight so that you don't lash out at God or, or end up so frustrated that you, you end up doing something stupid and sinful. The reality is that we need a vibrant prayer life if we're going to keep our relationship with God through suffering. Prayer reminds us that God is in control and it aligns our will to God's will for our lives. And that is crucial to remember during periods of suffering. Peter is saying that the time is short. So don't give up. Keep the right perspective. Remember that God is faithful. Be self-controlled through your suffering. But Peter doesn't just leave it at this internal mindset, right? There are external actions that we need to be a part of as well. And they all, look at them, they all involve being part of a community. And this is so key because a huge temptation while we suffer is to isolate ourselves, to withdraw and say that we don't need anybody else, we don't want to be a burden on anybody else, or we don't want anybody else to know because we're embarrassed. But that is exactly what Satan wants. That is how Satan deceives us into thinking we're all alone and that sin is better. Peter tells us to do the exact opposite. Love one another. Show hospitality to one another. Welcome one another. Serve one another. One another. One another. One another. This, is, this requires more than one person, right? There's interaction going on in these. This is what we need. The temptation is to take ourselves out of the game like I wanted to do. I, I, honestly, I almost called Pastor Rob and said, you know what, I'm just not going to do it. Let Pastor Randy preach both services, and that's fine. 
Um, so the temptation is to take ourselves out of the game, take our seat on the bench and sulk, or just, you know, just wait for the suffering to end and then we'll get back in the game. But you've got gifts that the body needs in order to be encouraged and built up as everyone else is suffering. Remember, we're not the only one. You're not the only one. I'm not the only one. And we all have gifts. We have gifts that you need to make it through your suffering. Finally, all of this is done, what does it say, in God's strength and for God's glory. Is it worth it to go through this pain? Yes, because it brings God glory. How does it bring God glory? It may be through the fact that you are showing the world that God is better than sin. Christ is enough. Or it may give God the opportunity to prove his strength in our weakness. Teach us to rely on him. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. He accomplishes things through us in our suffering that we would have never accomplished in our own strength if we will trust him. Or it may be discipline that humbles us and removes sin in our life and draws us closer to him. Hebrews, Hebrews 12. We can't always know exactly what God is up to or how this specific thing is going. Like if we try to figure everything out, we might go crazy. But we can go through it. We can know uh, that this is for his glory and for our good, even though it doesn't feel like it. So this morning, you can make your resolution against sin. Endure the world's reaction because we know God will have the last word. And you can find relief in the community of believers who are, we're, we're, when we're loving each other and serving each other, that encourages people. And that's, what, and that's what also strengthens us, galvanizes us against the lies that Satan would tell us as we go through this suffering. We know our suffering is not wasted because it always brings God glory. God wants you to know this morning that he sees your suffering and he is honored by it and has provided both himself and his church as a means to come through it. So I just want to close with some closing application questions. Have you, number one, have you made that resolution against sin? Have you aligned yourself with the mind of Christ or are you trying to justify worldly living? And do you need to repent of that today? Number two, do you have a community of friends or believers who can support you through your suffering with godly counsel and encouragement? Or are you trying to make it alone? Many churches start back up today. That's at least one way you can be around other Christians who can pray for you and support you. And finally, who can you serve? What gifts has God given you to encourage someone else who you know is having a hard time? Make a tangible step, small, whatever, whatever it can, you think it can be. Just do something. 
that will encourage someone. Uh, I close this morning with a song by the band Shane and Shane. It's a song called Though You Slay Me. Uh, and it was, it was on almost constant repeat for me this summer. And it's even got a little small John Piper clip in it, um, in the middle of it. We know that no matter how severe our suffering, God has a purpose and will bring us through so that at the end we will praise him and know that he is still good. Not only is all your affliction 
momentary. Not only is all your affliction light in comparison to eternity and the glory there, but all of it is totally meaningful. Every millisecond of your pain from the fallen nature or fallen man, every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory you will get because of that. I don't care if it was cancer or criticism. I don't care if it was slander or sickness. It wasn't meaningless. It's doing something. It's not meaningless. Of course you can't see what it's doing. Don't look to what is seen. When your mom dies, when your kid dies, when you've got cancer at 40, when a car careens into the sidewalk and takes her out, don't say, it's meaningless. It's not. It's working for you an eternal weight of glory. Therefore, therefore, do not lose heart, but take these truths and day by day, focus on them. Preach them to yourself every morning. Get alone with God and preach His Word into your mind until your heart sings with confidence that you are new and cared for. God, you see our pain. You are with us. You are working something in us. God, help us to arm ourselves to look to you, to know that Christ was on the cross. He was suffering unjustly. He knows all our pain. He loves us. You love us. Father, help us to repent where we need to repent. God, help us to love each other without grumbling. Help us to serve each other. Help us to strengthen each other so that we can all endure our own personal suffering and give you glory at the end. In Jesus' name.
Amen.